Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher Bakar Bin Ve'im Tovim Beratza Ve'divrehim Ha Ne'emarim Be'emet. Baruch Ata Adonai, Haboker Batora, Uhmoshe Avdo, Uvisrael Amo, Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek. Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Shalom Alekim. Welcome to the Haftarah Get You Some for Parsha Metzora. In honor of the upcoming Shabbat of Shabbat Hagadol. You know, we have a lot of special Shabbats that come up around this time of the year because everything's all getting turned up and whatnot. So, here with the Shabbat Haggadol Haftarah portion, handing it over to Chassis. Like you said, it is uh, this upcoming Haftarah Parsha for this Shabbat is Shabbat Haggadol. And the name really begs the question, you know, why Why is this Shabbat so great? I mean, I, yes, come on, Pesach, yes, we've had all these special readings upcoming to it, but why do we have this name, the Great Sabbath, right? Why? So there are many interpretations, and I'm so glad you asked because I want to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. So um, it's interesting uh, that one of these is it talks about this great miracle that transpired on this day. Mm. And so you have this this idea that um, the the firstborn of Egypt, going back to the Exodus, probably just prior to it, the firstborn of Egypt actually knew and they, they foresaw that they were going to be uh, slaughtered on this day. And so they actually rose up against Pharaoh, and there was this huge war that broke out between the firstborns of Egypt and, you know, the government of Egypt. So that's so, that, uh, that Tehillim that says that Hashem slayed Egypt through their firstborn. Yes, man, it's amazing. So... You know, you go through Telim and you have, uh, you know, all these different insights. You realize they're, they're not just separate things. They're all these insights into the Torah, which is amazing. So there's one interpretation. Um, and then also um, it's referring to a great day of judgment to come is a possible another interpretation. Um, which is what day? he said. What's that? Judgment day, like a, like a Yom Kippur type judgment day? Yes. Ooh. Yes. So we'll talk we'll talk about these uh these couple judgments, Hashem, in this half Torah. You know, talk a lot about uh judgments, forgiveness, redemption, you know, perspectives on mitzvahs, Hashem. We'll we'll get to all these topics today. Well, you know what's so interesting since you're breaking down the overview and lining up the targets, it this really feels like T shirt. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, it's like the, the first of the months, right. you know, we, we discussed this, you know, Nissan was the, the first in thought and T-shirt was the, the first, uh, the creation, you right. know, and so, you know, like, like, you know, rabbis, rabbis mentioned and, and quoted before that the, the season of redemption, this is Nissan, as the name implies it's from Ness miracles, you know, and so our sages have taught in, in Nisan, our fathers were redeemed and the future and in the future as well, they'll be redeemed in that month. And we got a, another aspect to it and maybe, maybe more, more likely example. 
uh, a more innovative one at least. And it yeah. says why uh, why it's called Shabbat Hagadol is because Pesach is also called Shabbat. <laughs> and so, you know, in, in this verse, you know, Vayikra uh, 23.15, we're commanded to count the 50 days. You know, once we get out of Pesach and we're going into Shavuot to receive the Torah, hmm. you know, it mentions that we count these 50 days from the day after Pesach until the festival of Becherim. And so in opposition to the Sadducees, the Sudduki sect, who interpret Shabbos as to be the actual Shabbat day, the seventh day, all the time, um, th we distinguish the week of, and, you know, every Pesach has two Shabbats in it. Two days are referred to as Shabbat because Pesach is called Shabbat. So we distinguish this one, the Shabbos that's prior to uh, of Pesach as Shabbat Hagadol in deference to it being this, the eternal Shabbat of creation. And so it's a way to distinguish between the sh Pesach, which is called Shabbat, and the Shabbat that precedes Pesach. So you know you're actually counting from Shabbat Pesach, if you will. <laughs> wow. So, well, that'll throw off a rooter for sure. Yes. <laughs> Uproot the rooter. No. <laughs> oh, wow. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing, you know, you get to Chazal and you, you find that they had these customs, you know, it's just calling this, calling this, um, this upcoming Shabbat, uh, Shabbos HaGadol, you know, it, it's not just something flippant, something rampant, it's something well thought out, so much so that it protects the people so they can be in line with God's calendar and, and receive like the spiritual, this the spiritual light that comes down at this time, this Moed, this appointed time. And so Chazal, you know, and the wisdom saw this and they saw the opposition against the Sadducees and they wanted to protect people. And, you know, this is an aspect of, of uh, that we could all learn from to um, interpret the Torah and act out Torah in a way that's going to be giving people, that's going to be giving people life and giving them to the ability to serve God more effectively. Amen. So. Pharisee way. Yes. With that, we are going to uh, talk about Malachi. Right? He was actually the last of all prophets. You, you, you find this if you're in a section called uh, Triasar, like the, the, 12, the 12 prophets. Um, it's interesting because in the Gemara Megillah 15a, it, it, it relates him to Mordecai, the Purim story. So it's interesting. We're coming out of Purim, and here's this, uh, this prophet who is associated with Mordecai. But he's also associated, we mentioned a few of this before, as, as Ezra, Hasofer, or maybe a completely different individual. Um, he was a contemporary of uh, Haggai and Zechariah, so the other two prophets. And he ended up moving from like Babel to Eretz Israel and was one of, one of these, uh, these great men of the great assembly. Wow. So he, you know, not just... Not just some of the guy, definitely very much involved in pretty much the fundamentals of Judaism today. He was he was a student of Yechezkel. We talked about Yechezkel a lot, being the son of Jeremiah. Um, another interpretation, he was the son of Baruch ben Neriah. And he lived during this time when Klaus Israel were unfamiliar with the lifestyle of mitzvos. You know, like they married out of, um, married out of, uh, like in violation of Torah. 
you know, they, they, they had a lot of like intermetage and they're struggling with like death rates of Shabbat, uh, Shabbat. Mm. And so this is, this is about the time and, and the, the issues that he's, he's dealing with. So, and it's, it's very interesting because this, it starts out, it starts out with this in verse three, four, half Torah <clears throat> that, in the third Behamikdash, the offering of the inhabitants of Yehuda and Yushalayim will be pleasing to Hashem as in the days of old and in former years. Does that oh, sound familiar? That's so familiar. Boom. You should know all about that. Goodbye. <laughs> Come on, Amen. build it, please. Come on, bring it down. Check in your uh, this, the end of the Shemani Ezra, like I met just quoted. Um, USV, this is at the very end of it, what we conclude with. Wow, which by the way, if I could just mention, um, there, there's a wonderful writing called Mashiach Who, What, When, How, Why, Where, When, Then, all that. Uh, but seriously, the five W's. And it says that uh, when you say this prayer, you're building the temple. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's amazing because that's what it references. With, you know, and it's talking about these days what? of old in the former years. Yeah. Oh, man. The days of old, because it's, it's all about having a pleasing offering to Hashem. The days of old are referring to the period of Mishkan. And the former years are the period of King Shlomo's reign. Uh, another interpretation is that the days of old are a reference to Noah's time, and the former years are the days of Hevel, Abel. And so you think about this, and it's like, why, why, uh, why does it reference these things? The days of old, the Mishkan, and Shlomo's period, you know, it mentions this heavenly fire that was cast down, and like like all their offerings were accepted and you didn't really have that in the second temple um and it mentions noah's times and hevel's days because this was either in in hevel this was pre-idolatry you just had the sons of adam and in noah's time there is he offers a sacrifice and it's just him and his family there's no idolatry at this time and so just like um uh like no, no idolatry. Just like it's talking about in this Torah portion, the the redemption to come, how idolatry is going to be wiped out. It references this time period when there was sacrifices, uh, when there was no idolatry around. Well, all right then. You need to get some help. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! So, you know, what's what's even more interesting, you know, since since you brought these this beautiful allusion to. Um, like our prayers, we talk about bringing, bringing Mashiach and building the temple. Um, it's interesting that this is the last point of our Shimon Ezra, because after Shimon Ezra, you go into the concluding prayer of the Amidah. And if you read it, it's all about like eradicating idolatry. It's all about um, bringing, uh, bringing redemption, you know, converting the nations. That's right. And so it's really incredible that it's talking about these these temples and that it talks about um, it goes back to the time of when these two men who offered sacrifice when there was no idolatry. And even more interesting, this is said by the prophet Malachi. And if you go down, there's there's a, a custom after after saying the Elenu, 
um, that's held in, in some congregations, some congregations not, just yeah. a custom. Um, but okay, wait, it, wait, wait, wait. Um, I have that? to stop the recording because you dropped out. So can we go back to you at that point? Yes. Which point? What's the last thing you heard? Uh, we were talking about when there was no idolatry, and then you were going right into this previous point you just dropped. Okay, so uh, no, no idolatry. We mentioned that this is Noah and Havel. They sacrificed at a time of no idolatry. And this is a reference to the days of old, Noah's time, no idolatry, and the former years, Havel's time, when there was no idolatry. And so we're referencing this to the, the end of the Eleno, the second paragraph of the Eleno, where it's talking about, you know, idolatry being wiped away, the nations coming in uh, to faith in Hashem, and this, just this period of awakening. But at the at the end of the lane, there's there's a custom that's held in some congregations. You know, it's just a custom. But it mentions it says this: Do not fear the terror that comes suddenly, nor the holocaust of the wicked when it comes. <clears throat> Plan a conspiracy, and it will be annulled. Speak your peace, and it shall not stand. For Emmanuel, God is with us. Mm. Even to your old age, I remain unchanged. Even till your elder years, I shall carry you. I created you, and I shall bear you. I shall carry you and rescue you. And what's interesting is. Um, what's very interesting about this is this was actually uh, incorporated at a later time um, because this was the the verses that was actually said to Mordecai, who Malachi is associated with, as we mentioned earlier. During during the Purim story, um, Mordecai, you know, once they learned about the annihilation of the Jews and Haman's decree, he had the, the the young children study Torah. And once he learned about this decree, you know, he went he went and asked the children what they're studying. And they replied with these verses. <laughs> they replied with these verses and it's like, do not fear the Holocaust of the wicked when it comes. Plan a conspiracy, it'll be annulled. Speak your peace and it shall not stand for Emmanuel. God is with us. And talk about, I remain unchanged and I shall carry you. I create you, I shall rescue you. And so this words of comforting. And so it's just, just very interesting um, how this verse references the end of our uh, Shimoni Ezra. There's allusions to the, the second paragraph, the Elenu. And then the, the custom, there's a custom to say these verses, which deal with uh, something said to Mordecai, who is also associated, and some interpretations say he is, Malachi. So it's really interesting, uh, just encouragement when you're, when you're davening, you're, you're not just speaking words that are just uh, written by just like somebody who thought, oh, this would go good with together. You're literally, you're literally living scripture. You're literally associating yourselves with all these stories from, from, uh, from Torah, from Tanakh, um, from, from your Bible. So it's it's a powerful it's a powerful thought to have in your mind when you're saying praying these verses. Amen. All right. So um, you mentioned earlier about this whole idea of judgment. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> Only favorably. <laughs> By I the wanna, way, as you I go into this, me. can I just say real quick? Yeah that many times it is spoken out by so many different people that we are told not to judge and didn't messiah say don't judge 
And I just mm. want to point it out that he did not say don't judge. He says when you judge, judge when you... righteously. Yes. So just want to point that out because there is judging that happens. Yeah. You know, everyone wants to be judged, truly. You know, oh everyone God. wants to be judged, you know, judge me favorably. <laughs> right. So, well, so I just wanted to share that because as we get into judgment, I just want to clear the air on that. Good, good. Very glad you did this because now we're going to talk about this judgment that it mentions here is talking about um, in, in verse five, I will approach you to execute judgment. And it's talking about when will this judgment take place? And it says there's there's two options. And one is the refurgement of the judgment of every individual after after his death. And the Midrash cites um, this uh, Pirkei Avot chapter 4. Um, so if you're interested in what that says, then you could check that out later. It's actually in your Siddur um, after uh, Minka. Um, uh, the Zohar actually goes, goes on to explain this whole idea of, of judgment after death. It says this, that we may have, uh, I'll just repeat it so we have a, a little bit of uh, fear of heaven instilled in us that after a, a person's day of death is also his day of judgment. He does not die until he perceives the Shekinah accompanied by three angels. They scrutinize all the misdeeds he committed during the, his life, present them to him and he confesses. The, the second, the second interpretation of this judgment is it refers to the great day of judgment which will follow the resurrection of the dead, Tachiyat Hamatim. You know, we, we pray about Hashem's strength in Shemoni Ezra, and his strength is referencing to bringing forth life from death, which is interesting. Um, we'll put a tab on that concept, Hashem. We'll get to it. All right. Um, but this is the post-resurrection, so it refers to these two judgments, possible judgments. After we die, we have accounting. And then after the resurrection of the dead, we have an accounting. And it mentions that, that and you go back to verse 5, he mentions who he's going to judge. He's not going to lay the verdict on certain sins. And it's like, why did he sing out these certain sins? It's because they, they often hide. They often hide under a cloak of respectability, committing their evil aspects secretly to escape the arm of the law. You know, the, there's this uh, story about a, a Roman governor who has a, um, a, he has someone who's committed witchcraft, someone's committed adultery, and I believe there's one other person, but it escapes me. And as soon as he has them executed, he turns to his um, advisor or his servant, and he says, this is, a, this is a Roman governor, and he says, you know, I, I've committed, I've committed these, these two or three sins in one night. And the story is in reference to the whole idea of, of the pig and how, you know, it, it puts out its hoof as if it's closing hoof as if it's kosher while it hides the fact that it does not chew its cud. And so this is, I, I tell that story for the very aspect that we understand why these certain sins were, were singled out because it's the idea of hiding under this cloak of respectability, but at the same time you have like all these evil acts that you're doing in secret. And causing great damage to the spiritual realms, causing great damage to, you know, especially if you're you're a Jew, 
or convert who is a Jew, right? Um, right. You're you're causing date great damage to Claude Israel if you're doing this. Um, but you know, interestingly, it doesn't mention idolatry because uh, this is the time period um, that the 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 Yetzahara for idolatry had been eliminated by by oh. the sages. Wow. So that's why it's not mentioned in this verse. Not that it's not bad. It's not that it's you know, still not detestable. It's that it just wasn't around. And so it goes back to we got to understand the culture and the context, the time period of what's going on in the verse before we jump to conclusions about that verse. Ooh. <clears throat> All right. Um, it mentions that, you know, that uh, Hashim, he's going to be in strict with, with light offense as with the serious events. And so, right. you know, this, it mentions that you have this relatively light monetary center with the holy and workers wages with a severe capital case of performing magic and community adultery. And so that's why you have this juxtaposition of these things it says, hey, it doesn't matter if you're doing this. I mean, it does to an extent, but it doesn't matter if you're doing a light, a light, quote unquote, light sin or a heavy sin. You know, a sin is sin is detestable to me, says Hashem. And so that's why the, the, uh, the sages say, you know be as meticulous with a minor mitzvah as with a, a large mitzvah. Amen. And interesting, verse, verse 3, 6, we have one of the several verses where the Torah promises the Jewish nation will never become extinct. So every time this comes up, we always have to mention it, just like you mentioned the uh, judgment thing. Things come up like that. You have to mention them. Um, it, it mentions that Hashem says, uh, I have not changed you, the sons of Yaakov. I've not been eradicated. And so why is it mentioned the sons of Yaakov? So that it would include all 12 tribes without exception will survive. Mention this, these 12 mm. tribes will, will survive. And, you know, it's interesting because there is a, um, a, another custom that on, in the month of the sun for the first 12 days, we read a section of the, uh, after our Shakrit prayers, read a section of the offerings of the princes for the inauguration. Oh, the man. And uh, just, it, it's, it's amazing. You read it, and then there's this little blessing towards the, the very back of your store after, I believe, like the Tehillim section. And it just mentions this whole idea about, um, may I be connecting, if I'm part of this tribe, may be connected with their their blessing and may me my son and my son's son all merit to be engrossed in torah you know it's just a, a beautiful thing um and so again all these little custom that's that's been instituted you know we should pick up as much as possible because we're literally like we said living with the parsha we've, we've talked about that before me and you have had plenty of conversations about living with the parsha and living with scripture and so you know you actually get to act upon it instead of just read upon it with which is it's so much more powerful all right um it mentions over here it says um this question how is the verse connect the previous one the one where it talks about this judgment that we read and not being eradicated so isn't this kind of a contradiction so it mentions that uh malachi he's reassuring the jewish nation don't fear because I deal strictly with you in the role of the plaintiff, judge, and witness. You'll be destroyed. You will you will be destroyed on account of your sins. Okay. But it's like I promise, like I won't eradicate you. 
And then it goes down in the second option says, do not delude yourself into thinking you would escape punishment because you often do not see sinners suffering in the present world. Mm. And it goes on this whole idea of, of Gehenna. We mentioned this topic before Gehenna is like this idea. It's, it's truly the idea of, of purging the sin that you, you, you didn't purge in this world. And it's a way of cleaning you off so that you can, you can enjoy the future world. It's not necessarily this eternal damnation. Um, for certain people, if the extent is that bad of sin where it can't be purged in the 12 months of Gehenna, um, then there will be a complete eradication, but it's mostly this purging process. Now, with that said, you know, it doesn't mean that it's going to be this nice place. Um, <laughs> Purge or, does not sound like a fun word. Oh, no. And, and just, just putting that out there. <laughs> just to give an example um, of one thing, it, it mentions, uh, I believe it's a Gomara that, that mentions the punishment of, of ones who uh, say you're a man and you just look at a, at, a, at a woman or you're a woman and you just look at a man. I'm not talking about having adultery. I'm not talking about uh, touching or dwelling on thoughts. It's just just looking with with like a lustful look. Mentions that people like this, they're going to be hung up by hooks through their eyes. Oh. And so, you know, just a little bit of Yerat Shemayim, a little bit of fear of heaven, a little bit of fear of God that we need to instill in us. So, you know, it, you know, and you say, hey, that that's a little extreme. Well, not according to Mashiach. You know, he wasn't all, all hey, lovey-dovey, everything's good. We forgive everything. Everything's okay. He wasn't like that. He said, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you have committed adultery in your heart. Yikes. So you say, okay, well, well, why are they, why is the punishment that severe? They just look. It's, it's natural, right? No, no, it's not. Mashiach compares that to adultery. He says it is. It's adultery of the heart. And so the punishment fits the crime. And so, you know, if if there is anyone who struggles with that idea, I know we're not in a very Zanute society, uh, very promiscuous TV shows. It's getting warmer out. The summer's coming. People are going to be dressing less. So, you know, something to help you is just imagine, you know, yourself on a hook with your eyes with a whole bunch of other people in the same room. But if you want to be Shomer and look at Torah as opposed to lusting, then yeah. you could be off the hook and it'd be great. Boom. Exactly. That's what we want to go for. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, if you really connect what you just said, I mean, now we're understanding how the Torah and grace work hand in hand. Because mm -hmm. if Mashiach brought grace, and the law came through Moshe, which we know that's true, and it, that does not mean what we think it means. <laughs> I mean, that's a beautiful picture right there. It's like, yeah, we love Messiah. He's so awesome. He delivered us from our sin and our transgression, and he brought us into grace. It's like, yes, and he said, don't look at anyone lustfully in your eye because, you know, there's going to be problems with that. Yes, it's better to, better to cast it out than the whole body to suffer account of it man so the ideas of of where where i dwells is where where our hearts will seek after and so may we be may we be looking and and subjugating ourselves to the right things can you he thoughts on amen
Okay, we go into um, this whole idea of of the reason for the exile. We're in uh, three seven and three eight, talking about uh, robbing robbing the shim, and one of the reasons for the exile was that they had this laxity with regard to the mitzvahs associated with it, and um, it mentions this whole idea of giving maser, giving the ties, and how they are very lax within that, and it says that during the period of Babylonian exile, the Jews. Um, they did teshuva um, uh, for their, their terumah and their maser. They resolved to observe these mitzvahs properly in the future. And hence, when Ezra and the Jews returned to land, they decided to keep the mitzvahs separating the maser, even though it was no longer obligated to do so. Okay. Because Israel had lost the sanctity of the end once the enemies had conquered it, and so we're no, no longer obligated it. But they did teshuva, and they said, hey, we're going to do this anyways. And so Ezra oh. and the great assembly decreed B'nai Israel were obligated to observe the mitzvah of Maser and pronounce a curse on anyone who would not do it. And so it's interesting, they, they drew up this contract, and the very next morning, it had this seal attached to it. And the heavenly court actually had signed and validated this contract that they made. So very interesting story. And it mentions that, you know, Hashem says, usually the, the Rebbe decrees and the student obeys. In this case, the student issues a decree and the Rebbe confirmed it. Oh. And so, oh. interesting. And, and so, you know, when they failed to do this, Hashem's like, what are you doing? I didn't, you, you did this. You drafted this agreement. Wow. <laughs> and then you just, like you, you, like, you made this false promise to me. And at the real reality, he's, he's, he's in, in pain, so to speak, because he knows what's going to have to unfold because of this. Um, it does mention this whole idea that, that there is this kind of defense for the Jewish people um, at this time period. They're in a very, very poverty-stricken state. Um, uh, very poor at the point of some people at the point of like starvation. Um, so you had uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he had to rebuke all, all the Jewish nobility and says, hey, look, forgive these people of all the money that they owe you. You know, cancel the poor people's debts and return the property to them. Like, this can't go on. You're like, you're, you're demanding, you're demanding justice at the, at the point of, of mercy, at the, the very point of the life of your brothers. And so he said, hey, just forgive their debt. And so uh, they did, and this actually brought relief to uh, the people at the time. But... You know, it, it mentions uh, this whole idea that that what this question, what caused Hashem to be angry with the Jews and curse their harvest? And initially, it was like we said, it was this lax laxity with separating and the required uh, to remote and maser offerings. And so, as punishment, they withheld the rain, and so the fields produced less. And so they saw that that the fields were producing less, and the people reacted. They said, "Okay, if it's producing less, I'm going to give less." And so his, you know. You just imagine up in heaven, all, all the angels face palming. <laughs> it's like, this is yeah. not what's supposed to happen. You know, read, read the, uh, the Shema, read the paragraphs after the Shema. You'll see how, how you get rain and how you get your field blessed, you know, love God, fear God. And then you can give them all the resources you have. Like you, you can give of the resources you have because you have plenty of it. But what happened is a drought and pest ended up destroying the crops. It made it a lot worse um, to the point where they even withheld gifts from the priesthood and the Levites. Ooh, that ain't good. 
you know, um, it, it, you know, it mentions that usually you don't test the shim with the mitzvah, and you see this with Mashiach when he quotes Devarim when he's when he's he's tempted um, by by the Satan, and he he mentions, you know, the Mashiach's reply is, "You shall not test the Lord your God." That's right. But for for every every commandment we are given, every restriction we are given, there's there's a thing that was made permissible to us in that commandment. And in regards to this one, it is with tithes and offering. You do not test a shim with with anything except with this. Wow. And so, uh, you know, they the the problem really was they didn't acknowledge their policies were causing the problems. Instead, they reasoned there was less produce that produce they would give less. Um, but, you know, it mentions that the entire people have sinned, but oftentimes that's not. Uh, you'll find that people have, um, the writers, if you will, have exaggerated the sins of the people, the person. And they usually do this to show us a lesson. Um, you see this with David and um, Reuven, uh, many, many other people. So it's not necessarily the entire people who are guilty of this, but it was a great majority of the people. You know, and, and on, on the idea of giving more, it mentions in verse 8, bring all the master in the storehouse, build the Behemikdash for the purpose, so that there will be food in my house for the Kohanim, Levim. You may test me with this mitzvah, says Hashem of hosts. I swear I'll open through the windows of heaven to give you much needed rain. I'll pour upon a blessing of such plentiful harvest until there will be no longer uh, sufficient space for your granaries um, to hold it. And so Chazal actually interprets this last phrase, Adblidai, um, to, to mean the blessing will be so abundant that your lips will tire from saying, Dainu, enough, we don't need any more. And so according, according to this, the word Bli um, in this phrase, Adblidai, means to become tired or withered from the root being um, uh, Bala, uh, Beit, Beit uh, Lamed Hay. And so just, just really interesting. And, and why is this so, such a severe thing? You know, um, you read in uh, Midrash Rabbah, it, it mentions um, these things that are called first. And of those are a lot of the, the, the tithes and offerings. And goes into this, this dialogue about uh, why these offerings are so significant. And it goes into talking about how Hashem He's constantly giving to us. He's constantly providing to us for the things we need to the, the little luxuries we have to the, like the, the extras that will allow us pleasure. And he says, when we give these gifts, we, we, we get out of this self-serving mindset and we get to like imitate Hashem. We get to be made in his image as he gives. So we give. And so it's not necessarily an idea of, of losing what you have or removing what you have. It's the idea of gaining in your, your likeness to a shim. It's the idea of being molded in his image when you, when you give of what's given to you. So you're basically giving a beautiful elucidation of a concept that, that is contrary to how things work in the world. For example... Mm -hmm. A king would have guardians at his house, but with Hashem, by putting a mezuzah on our door, the king is guarding our house. 
<laughs> and then with a tithe, instead of us giving money and contributing to the kingdom, we're actually receiving as we're giving. Just the same as if you have a flame to light another candle, you use that flame and it creates a new flame, but it doesn't diminish the previous flame. Yes. Man. So these are beautiful concepts that you're bringing down about tithing. And it's so amazing that it's coming here on the tail end of judgment. Yes. <clears throat> you know, there's, there's this idea, you know, this mentioned that there's an idea that, that giving sadaka actually alleviates judgment, can alleviate your judgment, can can give you a favorable judgment as well. You know, um, <laughs> it's not so, a bribe. Don't confuse it for a bribe anymore. No bribe, no bribe. And don't, don't take like that because. It mentions that, you know, there's this blessing you're going to get, but there's, there's, there's this question, okay, how, how do you, you see Jews giving faithfully their tithes, but they don't get rich? And it really comes down to what you said. It's not a bribe. It's not a bribe. Right. Uh, there's, there's two main concepts in that, like, sometimes Hashem withholds his blessing, um, maybe due to other sins. And so maybe you're giving to this. It's giving you merits, but those merits are shielding you from, uh, an aspect where you're lacking in because of a certain sin, whether you know it or not. And they're, they're shielding you from that. Um, right. And there's, there's number two is that perhaps like you said, like, it's not a bribe. Don't you, you cannot give with, without having the proper attitude. You have to have the right heart. Right. Like Michelle, right. to the woman who, who gave, who says like, don't, don't look down on her. Essentially, you know, don't look down on her because she gave this, this amount that you consider minimal. She gave everything she had. She mm. gave the entire being. Which really, you know, like the sages said, you know, give, like, give of your, your, your soul. Yes. Like give of your, your very essence is what, what Hashem wants from you. That's how you give exactly like that. You know, it, it, it's, it's a interesting, it's, it, it's very interesting because we go back to the word that we said, bleed, which means is become tired or withered when it, it's talking about, you know, the, the blessing will be so abundant. So you say enough, we don't need anymore. Uh, if you take those letters, you have, you have, Hey, this is the root root of this word for me withered or tired. You have, Hey, you go backwards. Hey, Lamed bait. <laughs> and you have, Hey, like Hashim. And you have Lev. And you literally have, you know, Hashim, Hashim's heart. And you so you see Hashem giving of himself. He's giving of his his very essence. Damn. You know, you, you mentioned this idea in in Brashit where it says he rested on on Shabbat on the seventh day. You know, right. he, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily withered or tired, but he rested so that he can give to us a day of rest that we may we may be involved with him. Ooh. You know, another another way of looking at this is is the uh sadaka if you will uh of 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 yeshua of mashiach right because you have hashem's heart well what is hashem's heart the first level yeah yeah you beat me to punch good so you have like you said the the bait the first letter lamed last it is the torah and hashem's heart and what's at the the center of the heart the the very center unique word of the torah is a vav represents a man mm. and so literally the point that's becoming withered for for our sakes 
is 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 the one who's who's the very opinion the very center of the torah this man at the center of hashem's heart this man who represents the torah and so you you think about the the blessing that comes from mashiach who has chosen to become tired if you will and wither away as as the as the leper at the gates of rome as the one who's who's on the execution stakes for our sake this has brought abundant spiritual uh blessing to us should should we accept that oh my goodness because he's taking up on himself all of our suffering yes so if we think we're suffering alone just remember hashem is paying his tithes amen And, you know, if you really think about the beauty of that, I mean, how how much more motivated should we be to give our tithe and to really fill up our Zadaka box? Because that's connected to the suffering that Mashiach undergoes for us. Yes. Well, all right then. You know, it... it we go into uh, verse eleven, where it talks about he, um, the the uh, even if locusts have already begun to devour the crops, Hashem will shout it at, at it and stop it from producing its destructive work. So you know, you know, if we we give of this, he's essentially going to tell all the animals to uh, bug off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, and we go into the name. That nation. was great. <laughs> <laughs> Had to throw that in there. That was that one was for, was for you. Repelling reviews. There we go. Oh wow. Okay. Man. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that. I, I was writing writing on the side in my little notes and you know I was like, okay, this one's for a met. And I, you know, I giggled. <laughs> like, like, oh, that was legit. I love that. Tell that everybody. So we get into uh the next verse in verse 12. It doesn't just say, Hey, you're gonna repel the animals, which occasionally the uh the nations are likened to the animals that attack us. Um and when times were not worthy. But then it goes in reverse, and it starts talking about the nation will say how fortunate when they realize um, you're living in a desirable land. And so now you have no longer the nations, you have this flip, the, the animals which are, the nations which are likened to the animals when they're opposed to us are now reverting to those who are like, wow, this is amazing. What a, a, what a beautiful land you have. And alternately, the, the good land is, is a reference to um, the Jewish nation, who Hashem says they are the land of my desire, and so not not just looking. We've said, okay, well, we're we're in exile right now. Not all of us are are brought to Eretz Israel, and if we were, we wouldn't be under um, the 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 government of the Mashiach, who's the only one who can have a reign of of, of balancing, you know, the government and the Torah, and do it. Um, so how do we do that without that? Is, is that we can refine ourselves and we can become the land of the desire. Oh, my goodness. And say, hey, I, I want that. And, you know, it mentions this whole idea that it's not unusual for someone to pray, be praised by his friends, but when his enemies do so, it's an extraordinary honor. Now, I want to read this in a little different light, if you will, the same concept. Okay. And it says it's, I'm going to paraphrase and twist it just a little bit and see what you think of. It's so, so what is it for someone to, to pray and do good for his friends? 
But the truly good thing is, is to bless those who persecute you, to do good for your enemies. Really? So, yeah, that's what it says. And I, 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 love, I love that the, the Midrash Hathor get, touches on that subject because this is such an often quote of, of uh, those who are uh, anti, anti-Mashiach for whatever reason. Maybe they just, they just don't know. Um, but a lot of the, the, the teaching that is, I say, is most prevalently attacked that Yeshua has is to love your enemy. You know, things like turn the other cheek, um, things like, you know, if, you know, someone asks you, forces you to walk with a mile, walk with him another mile. Right. And these are things that are so often, uh, often attacked, you know, and they, they often try to relate it to things that has nothing to do with like uh, self-defense. Like if someone come breaks into your home to, to steal stuff or do whatever else, you're supposed to just let them do whatever to you and your family. That's not what Mashiach's talking about. He's just turning the other cheek. That you think about someone slapping you. I don't know the last time someone slapped someone and killed them. <laughs> you know, right. it's not. It's not about things that are life-threatening. It's about things that are really going to damage your pride. And Ooh. to to suck that up for the sake of the kingdom of God. You mean like a shalom bayit type thing? Shalom bayit. And not just for your house, but yeah, for no, right. his house, for his dwelling yes. place on earth, the, the, the entire right. world. Come on, man. That's nothing new. You know, you could say, Woo. Romans 12, and you could talk about he, how he's talking about, bless those who persecute you, you know, do good to those who persecute you. But in reality, Shaul is quoting Mishlei 25. Mishle 25, 21, 22 says, if your foe is hungry, your foe, your enemy, if he's hungry, feed him bread. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will be scooping coals to heap on his head, and Hashem will reward you as, uh, and Hashem will reward you. I'll go ahead and stop it. Stop it there. Yeah. And this is really what he's talking about. It says, when, you're, when your enemy is in need, or if he asks you something, go the extra mile you read all the commentaries of this um it's extremely uh interesting because mentions um there's this this idea of this is the evil inclination also on a more practical level um let me find it See, uh, like uh, Drashot Sefer Mishlei offers an explanation on this verse that sees the foe as an actual adversary. If someone exhibits uh, antipathy, antipathy towards a devout Jew, it may be that he possesses a hunger for the pleasure of a Torah way of life, which he is attempting to suppress. The devout Jew should not fight him, but rather feed him Torah and mitzvot, and this way bring him closer to a shim. It mentions uh, 22, for you will be scooping coals to heap on his head, and Hashem will reward you. So the commentary is that when a person repays his foe by giving him food and drink, he causes a later to grow ashamed, and he considers how his evil is being repaid with good. When acting this way, he should intently solely, um, he should intend solely to induce the antagonist to regret his former deeds and refrain from being from such behavior in the future. Since acting this way is of benefit to his antagonist, although it seems as he's seeking revenge by embarrassing him, Hashem will reward him in kindness. And so it mentions that, 
you know, justice is Hashem's. And you, if you go, go through Romans 12, it actually mentions that, you know, don't, don't try to get payback because vengeance is Hashem's. And it quotes, he quotes uh, the Tanakh on that. Right. And what we mentioned earlier, for every restriction we have, there's always an exception to the rule. And this is one that a way of, of getting vengeance, so to say, is to do kindness to your enemy. And, and the reason why this is acceptable is that you're actually doing it to bring about to a, a state of teshuva. That's right. Because what are you doing is, is you're making yourself into the image of Hashem at that point, because Hashem is, is blaspheme all the day. And he, he still gives rain upon the, the, the righteous and the wicked. He still gives blessing. That's right. And so the normal natural reaction, if you slap someone across the face it's for the other person to slap you back or worse. But when they slap you across the face and you, you and there you see this person's turning the other cheek, figuratively or literally, whether whether that person is gonna understand it in the moment, there's there's something done in the spiritual realms that's gonna resonate in that person's heart and it's gonna make them reflect and think upon themselves and their actions. You know, this whole idea in Chasadu, it's quoted in you know, Manus Yahoo songs and, and other plenty of uh, Jewish Jewish songs of turning darkness into light. That's nothing new. That's nothing revolutionary. You know, this is a movement that was started by Yeshua, started by Mashiach. You take this darkness, this thing that's evil, and you, you, you bring yourself up to a level by, by being so humble that you allow that person to, to come into contact with, with the living God by reflecting him, by reflecting his attributes of mercy and, and, and long suffering, you know, and kindness. And so by this, you can take this nation who was once an animal who's striking you like in the verses of prophets. And you could take it in someone who says what a desirable land this is referring to not just the land, but the person, how, how can this person like subjugate his emotions to the point that, that he has so much control over everything he does to the point where he has so much shalom, so much completeness, so much peace, so much joy in his life that, that he could be attacked and he can, it's like he didn't even flinch. That's, that would be revolutionary. I mean, absolutely. I just want to say um, that I want to encourage everyone because I've made this a personal habit of mine as, as I'm davening and uh, asking Hashem for forgiveness. Obviously Mashiach taught us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Mm -hmm. So what I've added is to actually pray for the, not only the salvation of our enemies and persecutors and those who offend us, but also pray that Hashem would make them all new creations, that he will rescue and deliver those who are in great darkness and bring them into his marvelous light. And not only that, but that he would bring many sons to glory, cause those who are actively at work in evil to turn from their wicked ways to make teshuva and live. So I would love to encourage everyone to do that because part of our hastening the redemption and praying for Mashiach to return, we don't want Mashiach to return 
so that he can show up and blow up the place. Like, obviously, there's lots of protocols and different things that will occur, but we should desire that no man perish, no one, that no one would perish. And in order to do that, we have to do exactly what Hasis has just talked about, that we need to turn darkness into light on so many levels. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That's been something that has personally transformed my heart, you know, to look at people literally in a different light. Man, man, you 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 learn to look at people in a different light when you're illuminating that light. Ooh. You know, like like the temple with the rays shining outward. You know, like, like, the windows of the temple really. Thank you. The windows pointing outward so the light can escape. Thank you. Um, right. Oh but it's just interesting because you know it mentions this um, based on on verse sixteen at a time when arguments when arguments denying divine providence are being sounded those who fear him talk to each other after analyzing the issue they confirm their belief that God is trustworthy to reward those who obey him and to punish the transgressors they reaffirm their commitment to Torah Hashem pays attention and hears it their words of Amun are recorded in a ledger kept before him which registers those who fear him and value his name. He thus ensures that loyalty will be rewarded in the future. <clears throat> and so it means this right after verse of blasphemy of Shem says, those who ask brazenly, uh, what have, um, they, they sway brazenly, essentially, uh, what profit is it to serve God? What value is the mitzvahs? Because they're looking, again, the eyes we mentioned, they're looking at the reward of the wicked in this world. And they're not focused at the right place. Right. You know, they're they're not they're not seeing what's to come. They're not storing their treasures, if you will, in heaven. Ooh. You know, and, and so it mentions this whole idea on this concept that anyone who values Hashem's name, these are these are those who serve Hashem out of out of love. And it mentions these two levels, those who fear Hashem in our verse, those who fear Hashem are those who are loyal to Torah because they want to avoid punishment. And which is a good level to be on. If we could only just be on that level, we'd have an amazing world. Yes, we And would. the ones who, who value his name are those who serve God out of love because they confident his greatness and they want to be close to him. Um, if you want to understand more of that concept, you know, a great book, uh, Mishlat Yesharim talks about these levels of serving God. <clears throat> but it mentions those who value Shem's name, those who serve him out of this deep love, that it's not, um, they, they have an obligation to raise the level of Torah observance in their homes and their neighborhoods, because it's not enough to keep one's righteousness to oneself. One must endeavor to eliminate his surroundings with rays of Torah. And how do you do that? It's when your, your eyes are pointed outward, like the temple. Mm. When they're pointed inward to yourself, to the self-love. How am I going to gain? How can I defend my pride when, when someone's insults me or slaps me across the face or, or, or place and, and humiliates me by, by having me, forcing me to, to do this task. Mashiach says, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile. Why? Because, you know, uh, that whole verse about dumping coals, feeding your foe bread and water, the other interpretation of it is not an external enemy. It's the one that brings the external enemy. It's the internal enemy. It's the Yetzirah who is likened to your foe. And it says, Sub, give him bread and water, referring to, uh, like Torah, the halakhas, uh, the Torah itself. Ooh. And so what, what, 
Mashiach is saying here is he's giving away for people to subdue the Yetzirah. And what do I mean by that? Because he's obviously talking about you physically do this action. Well, uh, Ramchal in the, in the Mishnah Yesharim, he cites this uh, character trait. And I'll use the, the English term that he, that he uses of alacrity. Zerizut. Zerizut. Tada. Come on. And this whole concept of Zerizut, of, of alacrity, is... Is, is not always inherent in us. It's not always with, with, with in us in the, in initially. And this is, the, this is the idea of us hastening to perform a mitzvah. Ooh. And so a way we can develop this is by we could physically, like in this world, speed ourselves up, hasten ourselves to do a mitzvah, run to the mitzvah, like physically run, physically rush. Ooh. Like if you're going work out. to study Torah, <laughs> you know, don't damage the book, but hey, put the book out. And, and open it up and just start reading. You know, put the, put the phone aside for your for the time you set aside to study Torah. Just put the phone aside. You know, let people know, hey, this is my time and study. You know, example of this is of, of prayer. You know, if you want to increase your inner desire to 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 seek a shim and to pursue a shim instantly and quickly, then a way to do that is, hey, you can get up earlier to pray. Get up just a little bit earlier. And by you, by you getting up earlier, then you're actually going to be increasing your, your inner self. And so when Mashiach is, is teaching people, hey, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, show love to your enemies, you know, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. What he's doing, he's, he's allowing people to develop their, this alacrity to serve a shim and develop their, their internal alacrity. Their, their, their ability to subdue their Yetzahara is made, is made stronger by their ability to, to, to do all these physical actions of resisting their anger and, and doing good to those who are persecuting them. Well, then, not only do you need to get more help, and you're probably now under arrest, uh, we do have an unfair two-minute warning, so... <laughs> I am totally fine to go beyond two minutes because we can go beyond, go beyond. But I'm just kidding. Uh, but we can do uh, whatever you would like. I just wanted to do my uh, undesired uh, two-minute warning. <laughs> well, ta-da. Um, I'll, I'll try to make this next part. kind of go, go through them quickly. Um, I actually have a story time entitled The Flash since you, you did give me the warning and we're talking about you know, finishing this quick. <laughs> the flash, yes, being quick to do. Um, but I do want to like keep on uh, just discussing this whole whole portion of of um, doing good for your enemies and really allowing us to be strengthened. You know, because occasionally we do. Um, you know, you, you'll you'll find videos you want to know about a certain topic, and so you watch um, a, a different different shore online with someone who may not be a believer in Yeshua, which is fine. There's a lot of great learning, um, but you also have to learn how to filter out some things, you know, right. as, as our, our rabbi has, has said many times. Um, right. And one of those things, this idea of that, that this is, this is a, you know, a, a dumb idea to love your enemies. And I'll just say it like that. I you know, apologize for putting in that term, but I just want to prove it, like further prove that this is a completely Jewish concept that's brought down in, in, within the Midrash. And especially the of, of praying for those who persecute you, 
mentions here, like in you go to verse 21, it says, You will trample on the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I prepare for a day of judgment, says Hashem of hosts. Mm. And it mentions that the sun has burned the wicked to ashes. And upon these ashes, the Sadiqim will step. And it mentions that, that this is measure for measure. Because the Rashim stepped on the Zadakim, they abused them verbally and physically. And so, Mina Mida, in the future, the situation will be reversed. The Zadakim will dominate the Rashim. You know, there's a little song that says, you know, these boots are made for walking. And that's just what they'll do. <laughs> One of these days, these boots will walk on. walk all over you. <laughs> help you do Teshuva too, is the end of that verse. Because oh, Teshuva, like yeah. Teshu. Oh, I didn't even catch that. That was a hidden pun. That one was. Oh. <laughs> we have to start charging for these puns. Hey, step your game up. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't put my foot in my mouth there. No. no. Oh, wow. No, There's this, this question because it seems a little out of character. Your whole life, you're developing this idea of humility that Hashem is granting you, and even the whole idea of these nations being punished, of, of coming here and wrecking havoc is really brought about by our own sins anyway. Because the ultimate, en- the ultimate enemy of Israel is ourselves. Mm, According within different uh, literature, uh, the Zohar, Zohar says that explicitly. I believe it's in, in different Midrash, but the enemy of Israel, when we'll talk about the enemy of Israel, um, Talmudic terms, Zohar terms, Midrashic terms, it's referring to Israel itself. That's right. We bring upon ourselves uh, whatever is to come, whatever bad or good is going to come based on our actions. But here's this question because it seems a little out of character. Okay, here's the end of days, and I get it. It's all justice. But if these are Sadakim we're talking about, why are they truly stepping on these ashes? Is their intention truly to spite their enemies? I want to give you perspective from the, the Midrash Yalkut Shimoni, which is that when the Sadakim will step on the ashes of the Rashi'im who perform some mitzvot, they will beg God, they will beg God, they will beg God to have mercy on these Rashi'im. This will result in the wicked being granted a portion in Lamhava. Uh, so you, you mentioned this whole idea. We, we quoted, um, from Romans. We said, Hey, he's quoting from Mishle 25, 21 to 22 and 22 says you will heap burning coals on their head. Well, what comes along with coal and fire? It's what it's ash. And this is right at the verse where it's talking about the sun will, will burn the Reshaim, like this whole idea of fire reserting the wicked to ash. But really, I want to touch on the whole concept of Mishle. It's about doing kindness. We'll, we'll pave coals. It'll bring them to ash. But like I said, this is all for them to actually do, um, for them to do uh, Tushuva. And you have another example of this, of doing good to your enemies, is brought about by the commentary of why David, we mentioned this before, why David had Shlomo kill Yoav, how he killed all these enemies, the, the one who mocked him on the road, because David saw their deeds. He saw, hey, like, for instance, Yoav, he gave a lot of charity. He gave a lot of charity. He did a lot of, lot of good. He, he helped subdue a lot of enemies of Israel. He was a Torah scholar. But David, 
had him killed to atone for the murders that Yoav did so that Yoav would have Olam Haba. Wow. So the one who mocked him, and like, if you literally look at what he said to David, like, and you look at through the oral law, like what he said to David was an acronym for one of the most, uh, from all the most, um, the greatest insecurities David would have had about his his family, his heritage, the things he went through, that the insult that 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 was was called upon him was the acronym for all those those words. All his greatest insecurities and pains were wrapped up in that word. Yikes! And here he is. He says, "Slaughter this, like kill him. Don't let his you know head gray hair go down the grave." And but why did he do that? Because he knew this guy had some redeeming qualities. He looked at him in a good light, and he wanted to, to, to uh, balance the scales, if you will, so that he would receive reward. And this is why the Sadakim, or at least a deeper level, why the Sadakim put trample on the ashes of the wicked. And maybe a, a, maybe a deeper, uh, not a deeper level, but allusion to what Mashiach says, where it's talking about you're the salt of this world. But when salt loses its, its savor, which salt never loses its savor, it's that's impossible, pretty much. If you look at the <laughs> ponds of it. So that's a whole lesson in itself. But yeah. when it loses its savor, what good is it but side to be trampled on? And so what he's saying here is, is just like the illusion of the Sadagim putting their, their foot on the ashes of the wicked. So the wicked, if you're if the they're you're not being the Sadakim that you're supposed to be. The wicked will put their feet on you and make you do teshuva through their persecution. And so, in a way, the righteous putting their feet upon the ashes of the wicked is almost a way of it's it's might be kind of a crazy concept, but it's a way of thanking them, if you will. Because even though all the wicked things that has been done through Hashem using these people. As, as a tool, they, they brought upon Israel to do teshuva. That's true. It might not be uh, the best way to do it, but it definitely accomplished it. Mm. It's kind of one of those things that Yeshua is talking to uh, his Talmudim, and he's saying, you know, yeah, one of you is going to betray me, you know, and woe to, you know, that woe to whom that betrayal will come through kind of thing so yeah the betrayal is good in a sense that that's the way Mashiach was handed over so that he could complete the Akedah but at the same time it's like do you really want to hand over do you really want to be the one to hand over Mashiach yeah so I can be like yeah so thank you you guys uh you're welcome because if it wasn't for me handing him over no one would have got atonement it's just kind of like that's not the time to stand on a soapbox. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a great point you make, you know, because it's this this idea, you know, of, yes, you could, like, this. it's a great thing to take the darkness and turn it into light. You know, take take what's what's wicked, what's lost in the klopot, uh, and, and refine that and make it something that's sacred to Hashem and draw right. closer to Hashem. That's a, that's a great mitzvah, but that doesn't excuse a person to intentionally sin, for that reason that's that's not how it's meant to work that's a, that's abusing the system if you will and, and you know to tie it back to your trampling right here 
you know, Mashiach still dipped from the same cup or the same bowl that his betrayer was dipping from for the Pesach meal, which I think is such a beautiful picture of this particular verse here in Malachi about us trampling on the ashes of the wicked because there's still that level of, you know, I'm still, I'm not bitter against you. And I desire actually that you would not do what you did kind of thing. So just to go along with the elucidation there. Yeah, that's incredible. As you're saying, I was, I was thought how, you know, un, this is another way of imitating a shim because here you are, you're, you're putting your foot upon these ashes. That seems like, Hey, this is a bad thing. You're putting, you know, like it's like almost like kicking someone when they're down, <laughs> you know, almost quite literally. Um, but it imitates a shim who puts people through the Gehenna process. Why? So that they may be cleansed and they may be restored to him. Wow. You know, in a, in a sense. And, and, and so, you know, there's, there's always a, a different perspective to look at it through. And you have to choose a perspective that's really going to help you along in life. You have to choose a perspective that's going to um, push you to, to serve Hashem uh, with, with all your might. Uh, but I do want to talk about another thing uh, before we end. And I might like, might close out with like a story time, if you will. But there is also another thing that is very often against Bashiach is that, oh, he can't be, Yeshua can't be the Messiah because he did not fulfill the prophecies he did not redeem us so he can't be messiah because he didn't redeem us right and we've we talked about this before we talked about how salvation is a process redemption is a process um but there's also another quote and i'll read this this to you this whole idea of eliyahu because he's mentioned here and we've talked about this idea about how uh there's five times where he's missing a vav and there's five times where yako's name is spelt with that vav and so Eliyahu's name is in a sense deficient until he brings the Vav, which is Mashiach, the Vav being the, the number of man who was created in the sixth day and the five times it's missing be a reference to the Torah, as we says in, um, in, uh, in the Torah where it says, this is the Torah man, right? So the Torah made right. man. That was just a side note. <laughs> That's a Chuck Norris side note right there. <laughs> So it says, um, before, uh, behold, I'm sending the prophet Eliyahu to you. Eliyahu's task will not be to declare what is impure or pure and which indicate individual is obtaining untainted lineage. Rather, his mission will be to bring peace into the world. As it says, he will return the hearts of the fathers to their children, etc. Some are sages explain that Eliyahu will appear before Mashiach's arrival. Uh, this is a topic of which new, no human being has accurate knowledge until it will actually happen. The information <laughs> was concealed by the prophets, and even the sages had no tradition regarding it. They interpret the verses regarding uh, to their individual understanding, and therefore there are numerous divergent views concerning this, this issue. Wow. Uh, and so you, you look at this whole idea of when Yeshua says, the prophets long to see my day. Uh, but actually, I, I read, um, I'll just tie this in with this next part. This is what I actually meant to read. Okay. So it says, the underlying concept of the above Midrash, talking about Eliyahu giving away part of his name, 
as a guarantee for Yaakov that he would bring the Mashiach. Says uh, the underlying concept above Midrash, that Midrash we talked about, is that Eliyahu's name is incomplete. Kind of like, you know, Hashem's name when he's warm with Amalek. Says right. his name is incomplete until he will appear to B'nai Israel, since his mission is to bring the redemption. Afterwards, his name will be complete. His task will have been fulfilled. And so if you're using the logic of Yeshua can't be the Mashiach because he hasn't brought redemption, then you could say, okay, well, Eliyahu hasn't come because the redemption hasn't. <laughs> He's never came. He's never existed. Ooh. Shalom. Right. It says Eliyahu has come down uh, many times since his ascension. You know, there, there's there's plenty of stories within uh, Talmud and the Midrash about that, about Eliyahu coming down. But, you know, it, it's not that, that it's impossible for him to come. It's not that it's impossible to complete the mission in stages. It just It's just this whole idea of your, your name is complete when your task is fulfilled. And so right now, Yeshua's name, so to speak, is not complete because the task isn't fulfilled. But that doesn't mean he's not Mashiach. That doesn't mean... He doesn't have uh, a, a, a horse in the race, if you will, to be <laughs> one of the qualifiers of Mashiach. Right. You know, and if, if more so, if anything, he is the most qualified person, hands down. And hooves down. <laughs> hooves down. So this little thing, you know, about that, um, to kind of strengthen our Amuna and Bitachon about Yeshua being Mashiach and not let, anyone dissuade us of that because of faulty logic that's right critical thinking Man. make sure we do it okay do we have time for the flash story time any honor of the flash story time i'd like to do this really really fast yeah story time come on go quick <laughs> i did it already dang <laughs> <laughs> you missed it <laughs> Man. Okay. Here, I'll slow it down. Story time. Come on. Abba Tachna was actually better known as Abba Hilchayahu. He was also named Tachna to signify his entreaties, Tachnonim, Tachnot, which are all which were always accepted by Hashem. That Sadiq worked as a hard day laborer. One Arab Shabbat. He came home from work shortly on before the onset of the holy day. As he was entering the town with a package of food for his family slung over his shoulders, he heard a pitiful cry. Please, Rabbi, be so kind as to carry me into town. The plea came from an unfortunate Jew who was stricken with leprosy. He was crouching at the roadside. Abba Tachna knew that it was impossible for him to carry his package together with, with the invalid. It was already so close to sunset that he was un afraid to undertake two trips. Leaving his bag behind was unthinkable. His family would starve. The earliest response, the easiest response, would be to say that he was in a rush to get home. But, but Abba Tachna was a great sadiq. He did not have the heart to ignore the sick leper. He decided to rush as fast as he could and try to make the trip twice before Shabbat. Abatachna deposited his package on the ground, hoisted the invalid, invalid onto his shoulders, and ran into the town as fast as his legs would carry him. Then he rushed back to retrieve his bag without stopping for a moment. 
he just made into town as the sun was about to set. Can this be the Sadiq Ava Tachna? The people wondered. Why would he carry a package into town so close to Shabbat? Ava Tachna himself was worried that he might have Chasve Shalom violated the Shabbat. But Hashem performed a miracle for him. The sun came out again to shine brightly, and the day was lengthened for him. In fulfillment of the verse in Malachi 3.20, And for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will shine. But Avatachna was still not at ease. He thought, perhaps I have forfeited my share in Alam Haba since my merits were used for this miracle. A heavenly verse, voice was then heard saying, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a light heart. For Shem is pleased with your deeds. Amen. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we look at this and it's just um, incredible. You know, you, the, the, the sages say, and no one should take this out of consequence, but it's it's permissible to violate the Shabbat um, for the sake that that one would keep the 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 Shabbat later on, right? So if someone's like deathly ill, uh, you could do things that would violate the Shabbat to keep them alive, so that they would come to observe the Shabbat. So I imagine this this leper, you know, kept many Shabbats after this. I mean, you know, and you 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 think about this idea of the reason we're in exile today is uh, baseless baseless hatred and this neglect of Ahava, Ahava Israel, you know, love, love of our brothers and sisters. And, you know, right here, he, he chose the greater of the two. And because, because he chose to, you know, guard his brother, Hashem chose to guard him. Ooh. So there's, there's measure for measure. <clears throat> Man. Well, a very, very violent conclusion to the Shabbat Hagadol Haftarah during Parsha Metzora. <laughs> Beautiful tie in there with the leper. Um, the fact that it is a leprous person who was uh, carried into Shabbat. Uh, by the way, Talmud Netarim uh, 64b likens an afflicted person with Za'arat to a dead person mm. so you pretty much just said that this great Zodic rushed to bring someone to life literally bringing them to the Shabbat and uh, yeah so anyway there's that the Zodic who brings people to life alright so um, now what we are going to do is take a moment to do our practical takeaway and Hasis I would like to hand that over to you so I did notice something I was right by this. So I'm just going to include this one of the practical takeaways. Okay, hang and... on. Something happened with the sound. Okay. How far back? What's going on sound-wise? Um, not sure what the dealio is. Okay, hopefully this will still record, so go ahead. You got your second phone, maybe you could upload it um, as a second upload or something. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we have, um, you know, Malachi, 
you know, we, we mentioned his name in depth on one of the last half tours, but he mentioned this whole idea of <clears throat> at the very end, he says, how do you, how are you spared from judgment? How do you reap reward in, in the future world? He says, like, essentially, store your, your treasures in heaven. He didn't say that, but he says, study and follow the Torah, which is storing your treasures in Shemaim. But it's interesting that, that he was the last prophet. And it says here, literally in, in the uh, Midrash Haftor, that he therefore emphasized that he and his predecessors had not been sent to the Jews in order to argument or reduce Moshe's Torah by even an iota. Wow. So this is exactly what Matthew um, 5, Yeshua says. Of course, down here it writes, uh, Rambad says, any prophet who claims any mitzvah was uh, not given for eternity is a false prophet. And so the very fact that they didn't stone uh, Yeshua, which is what you're supposed to do in that case, um, on this grounds, was it shows that he kept the Torah and he encouraged others to do the same. Um, but I, I guess one of the practical takeaways is, is really just um, to engrave the words of Mashiach in our heart and understand them through a truly Jewish perspective. And so we don't treat them as something shallow and something to be neglected. When he, when he says that looking at another with, with lustful in your eyes is adultery, then we need to take that as seriously as it was adultery. We need to understand there's consequences to follow. When he says something as, as, something as, as bless those who persecute you, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, then we, we need to grave those consequences in our heart because we're bringing about, we're, we're bringing out so much spiritual light. We're bringing about the redemption at that point. We're healing the great wound of the world, which is just this, this self-centered egotism, this pride that we all have, that we all struggle with at some level or another. And we have to subdue that so we can make room for a shim to come, come in this life. And I, I love that you, you, when you elucidated the, the story of the flash, you know, Rabbi Abai Tachna, as, you know, he, 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 he saved this leopard and then he was able to keep the Shabbat because in there, it's, it's almost like this resurrection, this whole uh, Gemara is like a resurrection of, I'm sorry, uh, Midrash is a reference to the resurrection of the dead. You have this le leper, which you said is likened to a dead person. And here, here, here he comes and he, he, in order to, you know, bring him in to the Shabbat, reference to the, the messianic error or, or the, 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 whole, the whole Shabbat for eternity, he first raises this man from the dead into life. And then you get into being able to keep the Shabbat. Right. And so, and, and the way he do that is, is he said he, he stopped thinking about himself and he started thinking about the bigger picture. He started thinking about like, it's really about the greatest commandment, loving a shim with all your heart, who this man is made the image of and love the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself for this is the entire fulfillment of the Torah. And they're quoting Yeshua, of course, in that. Mm -hmm. But it's just this whole concept of, of uh, we have to subdue our own selves, our own desires, our own prides, our own wants. It's not about what you want to do. It's, it's about what needs to be done. Uh, Taking a practical, the more observant we are in our mitzvah keeping, the more pursuant we are, whether it's prayer, whether it's Torah study, 
where it's observing uh, little by little, little more halacha, or little by little praying a little more from a sador if you're, you know, uh, coming coming into this this movement or whatever. Uh, the more we develop that, the more we refine ourselves, the more observant we are, the, the, the more we are redeeming Mashiach's image on this earth, the more we're going to make him known to the world. That only comes when we truly submit ourselves to Hashem's Torah and, and we, we do so out of this, this, this deep desire to unify each other, this deep desire to, to want to heal each other through like this complete selfless love and the you know Valsham Toh quotes this idea if you really want to change the world you you essentially I'm gonna summarize what he said you really want to change the world you change yourself that's right and 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 through that you know through that we will have this this redemption like the Shabbat Haggadol and um this this great redemption that's supposed to be taking place in Nissan, maybe sooner our days. Amen, amen. May it be soon that we are literally in the new Jerusalem and enjoying the sounds, festivities, smells, and just everything about the third Beit Hamikdash. Baruch Shemo. All right. Well, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Zor kol haolamim. Zadik bekol hadorot. Ha'el ha'ne'eman ha'omer ve'ose hamdaber. Um kayem shekol devarav emet vazerek. Ne'eman atahu Adonai Eloheinu. Ve'ne'emanim devareka vedavar echad. Midvareka akor. Lo Yashuv Rekam ki el melek ne eman verakaman ata. Baruch ata Adonai ha el ha ne eman be kol devarav. These kut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, Baruch abab b'shem Adonai. May everyone have a blessed Shabbat Hagadol. Please make sure you select your lamb, Mashiach Yeshua. And may we all speedily and soon enter into the final redemption. This is Shomer and Hasis signing off, saying Shalom and Shavuot Shalom.